Hello, hello, and welcome to Elated, the podcast. I'm Arielle, and I care about your mental health. Over the last few years, I've built a business with a mission to destigmatize the conversation surrounding mental health maintenance, using food as a starting point. I found that educating people on how our gut-brain connection, and don't worry, I'll explain what that is, influences our mood, feelings, cognitive abilities, and so much more, created a comfortable space to talk about what it means to take care. My goal has always been for people to talk about their emotional health the same way we talk about physical health. And in this time and space, I think we can all agree on how important this is. Every week, I'll be sharing conversations with friends and professionals whose expertise is in a space that contributes to our mental well-being. I'll be asking for their take and tips on topics we all think about, but few of us talk about. Whether it's mental health and money, motherhood, meditation, or anything really, I'm committed to throwing out the taboo to get the conversation going. So I'm really excited you're here. And let's get started. Today's conversation is with Allegra Brantley, CEO and founder of Factora a company she created to teach women repeatable steps to growing their net worth and building lasting wealth. Together, we talk about how women approach wealth differently, the mindset component of claiming wealth, and a few financial tips to help get started. All right, let's hear what she has to say. I'm so excited to speak with you because the topic of money and mental health and how to incorporate financial health into our overall well-being is, an, is a very important topic to me. I've talked about it before on the podcast, um, but I haven't taken the specific angle focusing on women. So in your case, you being the CEO and founder of Factorial Wealth, your mission is to teach women repeatable steps to building net worth and creating personalized plans for lasting wealth. So I really want to come right out of the gate asking you why women, why did you get this started and why is this important to you? Well, I think every promising company starts with the founder's personal problem. And it was definitely a problem that I had for a long time. Basically, since I started my career and work life and was responsible for earning a living and affording life, I was really bad at it. And I told myself I was really bad at it, which self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I continued to be bad at it. And I got to a place in my career where, like many women, I was significantly underpaid for the job I was doing, figured that out, stood up for myself, and did get a salary increase to match other people's. And when I did that, I I felt so... (laughs) No pun intended, elated, and decided, wow... I know so many friends that are underpaid and all they really need to do is figure out how to talk to a higher manager and get that corrected. And we now know in the news, it's, it's trending, right? Women are underpaid. There's a gender wage gap and we need to stand up and correct it. So I kind of fell into being a salary negotiation coach because I started helping my friends and then they turned their friends on to me. And then I was 
talking to random women on the phone after work. So I was like, I've got to charge for this. And I loved it. I thought that I had found my purpose on earth and that was to help women make more money until I realized the bigger dilemma that I still had, which is just because you make money doesn't mean you have money. It's very easy to spend money. Women are the targets of consumer purchasing, right? And Every Instagram algorithm is perfectly there to tell you that you need to buy this one click thing. And I just thought, wow, I'm watching all these women make more money. And yet I know that they don't have any more security or stability in their life because a lot of the money that they make, because, because I was doing it too. I was the first person to look at that when I made a big salary increase, I got a nicer new apartment. I took a trip. I bought a bag. I felt like I deserved it. And yet I still felt really insecure in my personal finances because my savings accounts were very low, didn't even have investments. And I thought, wow, I'm rapidly approaching 30. This, this can't be good. How am I going to accomplish the things I want in life if I don't have any money? And yet I'm really good at earning money and making money. So why, why, where's the keeping it part? And that's really what led me into this personal financial revolution to kind of, to get back to, to your point, the reason women, the reason this issue is because I had it. And I knew that when I started this research journey of what the heck I should be doing with my money and how the hell to hold on to it, I didn't feel akin to anything I was reading. I was sitting up at night trying to read Investopedia and I didn't like listening to an old white guy in a bad tie. Like it just didn't work for me. And yet I forced myself to do it just a little bit at a time. And then I finally got the hang of it and I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. Okay. But now I don't have anyone to talk to about it. My parents aren't very financially responsible or healthy, or or they're just not financial figures in my life. And you don't talk to your colleagues about this stuff, right? Because obviously your job really wants you to keep that secret so that you don't see the glaring disparities that might be happening in your office. And so I felt really lonely. And that is why Factora is in the format it is. We we want women to come together and learn in a intimate communal experience. Because my true belief is that women are gatherers. We want to, to volley ideas. We want to have conversations. Men are happy hearing that some stock is flying off the roof and they'll open up an app. They'll throw a grand in there. They won't ask anyone about it. Women are not going to do that. So it just became very obvious to me that all of the financial information, all of the financial institutions and all of the financial products that were on the market were really created by men with men in mind. So I thought, here's an opportunity. Factora is really teaching women investment principles and financial fundamentals. But once they get that one-on-one education, Now they're off to the races, right? And they also have a community to talk about it with. So it's really just a magical thing. And I don't want to sit here and say, I, you know, (laughs) came up with it out of nowhere. It was a problem I had and I started to feel the need. And then when I really realized education's one thing, but I'm not going to make any moves until I have the confidence, I knew I needed the community element.
Right. So what I hear you saying is you're creating a safe space to destigmatize talking about wealth, to destigmatize claiming one's wealth, because I feel like that is also the biggest issue. I feel like women, or I'll make it about me and, and my experience with my friends, we're very shy, the majority of us, because I have women who I have friends who love, you know, talking about how much money they're making and their, you know, highbrow position, but the majority of us are shy to talk about it. And we're told not to talk about it. So it sounds like you're destigmatizing that. And it sounds like with the classes that graduate from your program, there's always going to be a giving back. So we're going to be talking about this more openly. People who come up in the ranks in your program are going to have people to look up, look up to and not feel so shy about discussing it. But you, you said that you didn't have an example at home. And I feel like that is a lot of people's reality. So if not at home, where do you think we can be inserting more financial literacy or a financial safe space earlier on? Well, I absolutely believe that it should be a part of public school education. I don't think that we should have a credit card industry if there's no education about it. I remember graduating college and my mom giving me three credit cards that were fully slammed that she had been taking cash off of to pay for my apartment. And meanwhile, telling me, don't work. Your job is to be a college student. She didn't want me to have pressure. And yet... She gave me some ultimate pressure when she handed me three credit cards that were slammed. And I remember looking at the statements and not understanding a thing. I didn't know what APR meant. I didn't understand that I was getting charged these really high finance fees. I didn't really know what was going on, you know? So that was not a great starting point, but you know, sometimes if you get thrown into something, you have to learn. And so I was learning these things and I was talking to credit bureaus and trying to figure out my credit report for the first time. I mean, that to me is absolutely negligence. There's no reason that there shouldn't be a class that, that helps you understand what a credit card is, what credit card limits are, why your credit score is the actual adult GPA that matters because you're going to need it to get approved for a mortgage or a car loan or any of these things. Yeah. To answer your question, frankly, I think it should it should be a part of public school education at a bare minimum. <laughs> and then I think that it should be um, offered in colleges. I took, I was a business major and an entrepreneurship major. And the only course I took on finance was business finance. Well, business finance is not personal finance. Business finance is not emotional, right? You're really just looking at a scorecard and accounting and what's going in, what's going out. And Personal finance is so personal. It's very dependent on my past experiences with money, how I'm behaving with it now, what I want to do with it in the future, what my goals are in life. And my goals are going to be different than the person next to me. So I sound like a broken record all the time at Factora because personal finance is personal. And a lot of times women come in and, and they're just like, give me the recipe and I will follow it and I will do great. And I'm like, I can't because your ingredients are different and you want a different final outcome. But yeah, that's definitely where I think it should be because as much as I would like it to be in homes, I think that that's going to be much slower. I do agree with you that a program like Factora, when women feel really empowered and educated, they turn around and share it with their friend groups. I have so many women that are helping their parents plan for retirement, that are having conversations with wider family that have debt issues and really feeling 
able to give them help, which is amazing. Like there's a ripple effect from getting your financial life in control and feeling that solidarity. And I just watched someone come back to our Slack community last night, having a conversation about a family member that is in debt and what to do with it. And there were so many women weighing in on different options. And that's a beautiful thing to me to have a space to do that. And something else I wanted to point out when you were talking about your friend group, mostly being shy around the topic of money, but some people happy to express what they're earning at work and feeling good by what they're making. That goes back to that earlier thing that I had where I was really proud of what I was making and I was a salary negotiation coach. So I was telling everyone what my income was, but my income was high and my net worth was negative. You know, I was in credit card debt. And so it doesn't really matter what you're making if you're not transferring that money into wealth. If you're letting it slip right back through your fingertips and to transfer it into wealth, you have to be talking about investing. And that's what I didn't see any women talking about. So even in my friend group, the ones who were happy to share their salary numbers and, and, you know, these kind of high level numbers that I could have looked up on Glassdoor, right? If you're a X type of role with this level experience, I already kind of know what you're making, but that gives me no insight into the type of wealth you're building. And those are the conversations we need to have so that we can break through the taboo and feel really good about putting our money to work so that we don't always have to go to work. Like money is the best employee ever. They don't need sick days. Like you just, you invest it, you you get strategic, you check in on it, you tweak, you learn, you keep growing. Well, I love the way you talk about money because you make it friendly, you make it approachable, and you make taking the steps towards achieving wealth tangible so that you're making wealth more accessible. And I think that's so important because I know for me, for instance, it's kind of embarrassing sometimes to ask questions. It's kind of embarrassing to admit, hey, I have all of this fancy education. I have all these degrees, but yet I don't really know anything about the stock market. I don't know how to invest. I don't know what retirement really means. Hey, can you help me? You know, and and not even having someone to turn to to ask, can you help me, is also part of the problem. So obviously in some, I love what you're doing, but I want to ask you a couple of questions because obviously I don't want you to give away your secret sauce, but it, you made a point to distinguish personal finance. Is understanding personal finance what you mean by achieving financial freedom? And if so, what about your personal finances should you be understanding to kind of kickstart this entire education? That's such a great question. First of all, thank you for saying that I make talking about this stuff friendly. I That is my goal because I understand that money, generally speaking, can feel really intimidating, overwhelming, there's shame around it. There's a lot of negative emotions that get tied up in money and our personal journey with money. So I'm always telling women that it's an inanimate object and you should really think of it as a piece of paper with a man's face on it because that'll help you put it into perspective. It's a form of value exchange, no more, no less. So let's use it as a tool, a tool to build the lives that we want. Now, when it comes to your question about personal finance versus financial freedom, The way I look at your personal finances is that your financial picture is comprised of your liabilities, your income, and your assets. So income is not near as important as taking your assets and subtracting your liabilities because that's your net worth. So that is a good financial picture. But where the income comes in is every dollar that you earn, you have a choice. 
am I going to spend it or save it? Well, really, when it comes to savings, am I going to store it or invest it? But anyways, the the thing that a lot of people don't realize is when their income happens, they've pre-made choices that tie them to obligations like a car loan or a rent of a fancy apartment or whatever it is that can shrink the amount of money that they have to save or invest for the future them. And because it's really hard for us to think of a future self, we're, you know, we're instant gratification. We live in the moment. We want immediate satisfaction and rewards and dopamine. We just think, oh, I'm making $150,000 salary. I deserve the Tesla. Let me go and start paying for that. But every time you make a choice like that, there's an opportunity cost of not being able to put that money somewhere else. So one of the things that we help women do at Factora is truly understand their financial picture. Because I think a lot of us live in a very limited capacity of just knowing we earn this amount of money. These are our bills. Hopefully there's a little bit of difference and we'll save that and likely not invest it. Cause that's really the biggest difference between men and women women hold so much money in cash. Like we're actually great savers. We just don't take that pocket of money and put it into strategic investments because we're nervous and we don't have the education, the community or the conversations to feel secure about doing it. Okay, so that's your personal finances, which is comprised of your financial picture. And it's gonna be different for all of us. Financial freedom is when work suddenly becomes optional and not an obligation which means you have to do a lot of work on your financial picture and really bulk up those assets so that if you've got money properly invested, making passive income, at some point, the money that your money is earning can either supplement or take over how much you were earning at a job. And that is a beautiful moment called financial freedom. It's when your passive income exceeds your life expenses. And the other way to describe that is basically time freedom, because we spend a lot of our life, especially our young life, working at jobs to afford our lifestyle. And then, like I said, back in that financial picture realm, we're like, we're working so hard. We deserve nice things. So more money comes in and we tether ourselves to more obligations that pull the money right back out. And we kind of get stuck in this cycle where we're just, we're just trying to keep it going. And I think a lot of people believe that if they can just make more money, it'll solve their problems, but it won't because more money typically comes with more responsibility, more workload. That's not the way to do it. The way to really get yourself to financial freedom is to learn how to invest and to start investing and to keep investing as much as you can, as early as you can. So it has time to compound and provide those passive income streams. So that's financial freedom different from personal finances. Understood. And so is that kind of like the magical first step that you should take towards achieving that is understanding investing specifically? I would say it is a big part of it, but we actually at Factora built a financial framework. It's kind of like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And on the very bottom of it, so the base level that you should understand before you're even investing is to understand your high interest debt and have a plan for getting rid of it. So you don't want to have a bunch of high interest debt while you're trying to invest or you're not really making money. 
there is a lot of looking inward and trying to understand yourself before you build wealth. I think mindset is the biggest piece to wealth building. It's the first, the, the first session of the wealth circle is pretty much dedicated to it, which I'm sure women come in and they're like, teach me the money stuff. And I'm like, but first, if you want to be a millionaire and a wealthy woman and have more than enough for you and your family, then you need to believe that you should. And that all starts in mindset, right? Someone who decides they want to be a marathon runner doesn't strap on sneakers and run 26 miles. They first step into the idea of believing that they can be a marathon runner. And And so it's the exact same thing with money. I have to believe that I can be a good wealth builder, which inevitably means I have to be a strategic investor which means I have to be open-minded to learning about investing, right? It just kind of all goes from there. The values are a big part of that because it's understanding this is me, Allegra, and these are the things that I hold in high regard. A lot of personal financial work is really inward facing in the beginning because you have to start with understanding you and your experiences and what you want before you can start making tangible moves. Right. And how do you guide someone to kind of shift their mindset? Because I mean, I've spoken with people and I hear a lot, well, you know, my parents, you know, never owned a home. So I don't really think I want to own a home or I've never seen wealth. So that's not really a focus to me. Or, you know, I've only been in this poverty cycle or poverty consciousness is what is my safe space. So that's where I'm going to stay. How do you guide someone to take that kind of very scary leap? into, okay, now I trust myself. I can shoot for the stars. I can dream big. I can visualize myself as a millionaire. I mean, even just doing that, I think is kind of scary. So how do you help someone do that? That's where the community comes into play because we'll throw up polls all the time saying, okay, so who wants to be a millionaire? For example, that's one of our polls. After we kind of talked to them all about these statistics of, you know, women facing poverty, more than men and women not investing as much as men and women losing out on all of these returns simply because they're not doing it. And then they're all hyped up and we're like, okay, so who wants to actually learn this stuff and do it? Who wants to be a millionaire? And they'll do a poll. And there is something about being in a cohort, being in an atmosphere where everyone's really excited that the majority of answers are going to be me. And that's session one. We re-asked that question by the end. And of course, it's pretty much 100%. But I would say those examples you gave of someone talking very much in the eye, I grew up this way. And so I don't see how I would leave. That shifts completely when you are being so inspired by other women and the changes they're making at such a seemingly fast pace. You've probably heard that quote, that we're kind of a compilation of the five people we hang out with most. Well, when you're going through this well circle experience, you are seeing so many people make so many advanced moves and just change their lives that it draws you to do the same. So that critical step is exposing yourself to the life you want in a way. And I understand this personally because, you know, growing up, my family experienced a big embezzlement. And so we went from easy, happy-go-lucky to, oh my gosh, what are we going to do to make tomorrow happen? And my mom made a concerted effort to 
never let that reality become the only reality we saw. She purposely put us in schools. She purposely put us in activities for us to see a different reality. So we felt comfortable with that reality so we could attain that reality so that the trauma didn't keep us stuck. And I think so much about wealth amassment has to do with acknowledging trauma around money. And offline, you and I were talking about the beautiful, magical, amazingness of therapy. And I think that money and talking about money has been such a big aspect of my own uh, experience with therapy because that trauma really sneaks its evil head into so many aspects of life. So me personally, I try to expose myself to environments where I can get out of that trauma mindset, but acknowledging that trauma and working through that trauma is so, so important. Would you agree? So I have a podcast as well called Coffee and Coin where I interview women. And the first question I always ask them is what's your first money memory? And it is 50, 50, really positive, really negative. And that is so interesting to me, right? Because I thought only my experience, my early childhood experiences with money were negative and I was kind of embarrassed to share them. But now that I interview so many women, I realize it's 50-50, like it's a flip of a coin. You, you may have experienced the, the utilities company turning off your utilities while you were in a shower. That was literally someone's story. She was like an eight-year-old girl washing her hair and lights went out, water, like, done. Horrible, right? And then someone else will talk about how their dad paid them uh, $5 every time they read a book. And then they went to Harvard, you know? So it's like, it could either start out really well or really poorly, but that's life, right? Like life, you're going to have these different experiences based on what family you were born into, where in the world, what your parents experienced, how they came together and talked about it with you. So it's kind of like, we have to move past that and take this self-responsibility of getting the mental shift and perspective that we need, which I agree really can pretty much only be done by therapy. I don't want to say only be done by therapy. If you have a growth mindset and you're very open to making changes in your life, that's awesome. But change is scary, right? Humans don't love change. That's why we have our little lizard brain being like, "Eh, stop, danger, don't do it. We don't recognize it. But I think- Interestingly, some of the first women that ever took the wealth circle, this was years ago when I only had eight women at a time, when I went back and asked them why they took this program with an unheard of person like me, you know, with whatever, it was just so new. And I was, I just wanted to know what drove them to took it. Many of them said that they were recently working with therapists and their therapists recommended that this would be good for them. Wow. Isn't that wild? And I was like, oh, I had no idea. How does your therapist know about this? Oh, well, I talked to them about things I'm considering. And since money had been an issue growing up, they thought that it would be good to get education around it. Simple. They trusted what their mental health professional was advising them to experience, which is growth in a category that they may have had trauma or a lot of uncertainty and and issues around. So yeah, they're definitely interconnected. I would love to go back to school for behavioral finance and understand more of the psychology around it. So everything I'm telling you is just my anecdotal experience from now working with hundreds of women, but I am by no means um, a mental health professional, but I do therapy personally as well. And, and I, and I was telling you this before we, we started the call too. My husband has recently started doing therapy and I 
am just so proud of being a part of a partnership that both have our individual different therapists and we're prioritizing that once a week. I think it's amazing. And it is a big cost. Neither of our therapists actually take health insurance. And at first we're like, Ooh, do we want to be spending, you know, over a grand a month on this? And then we immediately recognize it does fit our value set. We absolutely do. So that's the way to go about it then. So specifically talking about justifying the cost of therapy, because I feel like that is such a big barrier to entry or a barrier to, you know, anyone even entertaining the idea of starting therapy is just seeing, does it align with my values? If so, then any subsequent spending therapy or something else that's quote unquote allowed by you. Oh yeah. And, and the other thing I would say is kind of like spending money on your money. It's a novel idea, right? People understand financial advisors. Oh, I'm going to spend money on someone who's going to invest my money. But the issue there is you have to have enough money to hire a financial advisor to invest for you. Um, And so I think a lot of people think, and I thought this too, I'm going to wait until I have a lot of money and then I'm going to hire someone to handle it. Just, I'm going to give them autonomy over this important part of my life and not think twice about it. Kind of crazy, right? Whereas therapy is paying someone to help you do the work. They're not doing the work for you. They can't go into your mind, body, and spirit and make changes. They can just talk to you about what can be done. And so I think spending money on a program like mine or spending money on um, a therapist or a mental health professional is really hard for people to do because they can't see the tangible results. They don't know what they're going to experience. And so they also don't know the compounding effects and what that might mean. I mean, I started therapy at the beginning of this year because a particular situation happened. I had, a, I had an issue with a parent and I said, I can't, I can't handle this on my own. And it was spilling out of me and onto my relationship. And I thought that's not fair. I didn't get married for my husband to deal with this. And so that was what actually got me to start. Not me just thinking, oh, this would be really good for my life. So I understand there's usually kind of a bottom that happens to even get us there, but I have never stopped. That issue got handled within a month. (laughs) And now the work that we do is so incredible, so much deeper than that. And I'm not sure I would have gone there if I hadn't have had that kind of breaking point. All all of that to say, I recognize it's really hard for people to decide to do something like therapy, just even to do it. Because I think people think, well, now I'm admitting there's something wrong with me. No, like, don't think of it that way. But also the cost and the unknown of how it's going to help you. Right. But I hear a similarity in the way in which you thought about therapy and the way in which you started Factora, which was acknowledging an issue and then feeling safe and comfortable asking for help and prioritizing getting and gaining tangible skills in order to increase your own feeling of A, self-worth and B, feeling empowered and understanding that you can help yourself. And so I love thinking that there are those parallels between achieving good mental health and achieving monetary wealth. It's interesting to think about it both from those perspectives. Just because you make money doesn't mean you have money. So you could be doing everything right and still be in massive debt and feel really insecure and have no calmness around your wealth, which affects your mental health as we've been talking about. 
So you see that all the time. You see these, these older guys who are having heart attacks, you know, I mean, they're so stressed from doing it right. I definitely don't want that for women. And (laughs) I believe that the corporate workplace was invented by men and women have tried to fit in. We've tried to fit in while we're pregnant or breastfeeding or picking up children and it doesn't work. Nine to five doesn't work for us. So I'm so happy that this is changing. And I actually think a lot of it was accelerated by COVID. People looked around and were like, what's important? Oh, wait, it's my family who lives in whatever city and state and not necessarily this nine to nine job in New York city. I did that. I did the grind for so long and the grind gave me nothing back. (laughs) There is a confidence that comes from doing things outside of the box. And I love that our generation is doing that, that they're saying, I want to start this side hustle because I want a creative outlet. And let's see if people are interested in purchasing what I, you know, whatever my creative outlet is. I think it's awesome. I think what's boring and a little bit sad is the career experience that a lot of our parents had. They had one job, they stayed with it for 30 years, they put money into a retirement, you know, pension like plan, which don't even exist anymore. And there's no guarantee what will happen with our 401ks. So don't depend on that 100% either. And then at the end of it, they had a nice house and, you know, a nice retirement. But I, I hate the idea of traditional retirement. Why do I want to work till 65 and then go enjoy my life? And why do I want to hope, which is not a strategy, that the company did right by me, I earned enough, I was able to save enough in my 401k, and that's going to hold me over for the rest of my life. That's just not, that's just not very strategic. You know, what I'd rather do is enjoy my life from now to 65, prioritize my financial and investment education so that I can repurpose some of my income for future me and feel good about it and not have to have this perfect formula. For me personally, as someone who works for themselves, it's also really scary. There's also a lot of fear involved because there isn't a similar security, or maybe you'll say differently because I guess I can create my own security, but there isn't that same security of just like receiving a passive paycheck, working for a corporation, having someone else coddle you. And especially during the pandemic, you know, when I had my partner who thank God was able to maintain his job and just had his company taking care of him. Whereas for me, I was like, okay, how am I going to pivot? Okay. How am I going to take care of myself? And that is not for everybody. So while yes, it's cool that we now have this gig economy, it can also come with a lot of fear and stress. And so understanding how to create that safety net for yourself to set you up for success personally is why what you do is so, so important. So if you are self-employed and maybe I'm being selfish and asking you this really quickly, what is one most important thing that you should do in order to set you up for success? So I've started two companies in my life. The first one was in New York and it was a luxury loungewear company. I thought I was going to, I thought man repeller was going to wear my robes and I was going to be so famous at 25. Anyways, you learn a lot. I jumped into that business with absolutely zero savings, some credit card debt, Basically, I had a very bad financial picture when I decided to do my own thing. And I thought just having the right amount of energy and passion and grit that I was going to make it. Okay, I didn't. But what I learned from that before I started Factura was that 
part of the reason I failed in that business is because I was so stressed about not having money to do anything and watching myself go more and more in credit card debt that I didn't give that business a fair chance because I didn't have enough financial stability. So before I started this business, we had many in-depth conversations, my partner and myself, about how I was going to go about it so that I could feel secure. And I tripled my typical emergency fund. We usually keep four months of cash um, in a high yield savings account. That's it because I want every other dollar working for me. So I tripled that because I thought I need liquid cash in case things go wrong. And then I actually earmarked one of my brokerage accounts that would be a second backup. And so I was able to start Factura from a place of calm. And I think that that was what allowed me to really thrive for the first 15 months when I didn't pay myself a dollar because I knew I'd already made a plan. And so I would say to anyone who's self-employed or thinking about being self-employed, the best thing you can do is create a little emergency fund for yourself. So even if you don't have one today, start working towards it. An emergency fund is just whatever your fixed expenses are per month in life. So fixed meaning I have to have somewhere to live. I need lights. I need food. Obviously at this point, we all need cell phones. We need a car to get around. So whatever those expenses are, add them up, multiply it by three and get that into a high yield savings account. The amount of calmness that you will receive will be, I mean, it'll change your life. That is definitely the place to start. But to your other point where you were talking about your, your partner and the, the paycheck that just comes in month after month and how there's such a security in that, I would say yes, but again, it's back to that, what we've been taught. We've been told it's security. A lot of people in COVID lost those secure paychecks. And one of the things we teach women in Factora is that you do not, just like we're, we're told you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket, you don't want to have all your income coming from one place. And so when you have a W-2 job, you are 100% reliant on that company continuing to be successful and being able to pay your paycheck. And I've seen so many companies during COVID just spin off departments, just fully let go of teams, et cetera. That security was false, right? But you, you have complete control over your livelihood. And of course, it's not easy. Being self-employed is so hard and definitely comes with so many stresses that I don't have a good way to alleviate because I experience them myself other than the, the pocket of money so that you know you've got your life covered. You're not going to go hungry. You're not going to go without electricity. But yeah, depending on your financial livelihood from one source is not good. But guess what solves that? Investing. Because then you have other sources of income. And I think that's the thing that really wakes women up when they're like, oh. And it's not like I'm saying go out and get a side hustle. We have only so many hours in the day. I'm saying if you have income that's disposable and now you understand your financial picture and you agree that investing is something you can do, put that money into investments so that you have additional income streams and your life will be changed. When someone starts to watch their money make money, you just don't want to stop. You want to do more of it, right? But it's just getting over that mental barrier of, of doing it and understanding it in the first place. Because sure, everyone who has a 401k loves looking at it especially if their company is doing a match, it's like, this is just automatically going up month over month. But guess what? You can do that on your own. You can open your own brokerage account. You can put your own money into it. And when you do that, you don't have to wait until you're 59 and a half to get the money back. I mean, all of those, these 401ks and these IRAs, they're tax advantaged, which is wonderful, 
but they also have a bunch of limitations. So you, you, you need a mix of both. No, and I hear that, you know, the common thread throughout the different aspects of our conversation has really just been prioritizing empowerment. That while, yes, what we've been traditionally taught, we've been taught to see as the definition of security, but really the definition of security is understanding how to harness the tools, harness the skills in order to create and define safety for yourself. And going back and, you know, giving credit where credit is due to that um, story that I shared about experiencing an embezzlement, the environment, not only being exposed to, you know, the good schools and, and the glamorous activities, but also seeing in this case, my dad, because my dad is the one that chose to work, really harness his own trust in himself, his own skills, and to be able to pull us out of that successfully and watch him do that is what ultimately gives me peace of mind to say, no matter if shit hits the fan, and even if so, while working for myself, I can trust myself and it's going to be okay. And at the end of the day, I feel like we all just have to fundamentally believe that, that we can trust ourselves and it's going to be okay, specifically when it comes to money. On that note, the self-trust, that's such a beautiful topic that I think people don't talk about enough. And someone explained it to me like this and I loved it. Everyone has a best friend, right? And this best friend, if you heard someone saying terrible things about them, you would stand up for them and say, that's, that's not okay. And yet <laughs> we say really terrible stuff to ourselves. Right. And at the end of the day, we, ha- we should be our own best friend. Like we're the only us that we've got. There needs to be grace there. There needs to be self-trust. There needs to be belief. This goes back to that mindset piece, right? I love that you compared it to Um, you know, that experience that you watched your dad handle, he handled something really, really tough and he still made it out. Okay. And that gives you a mentor to look up to. And now if something does happen at the end of the day, you had that mentor experience, but this is going to be something you deal with. So the, the best way to deal with it is by having belief and trust in yourself. And we don't get that overnight. We have to cultivate that day in day out. And especially as self-employed entrepreneurs, we do that every day we're in business. It gets a little bit easier because we're like, okay, we're still doing this, you know? (laughs) So anyways, I just wanted to bring up the self-trust. And I also think self-trust is when we make little promises to ourselves and we keep it. The more we do that, the more we're like, yeah, I can trust myself. I said I was going to do that last year. And here we are. We've accomplished that. Very true. Very true. No. And This then goes back full circle to the beginning of the conversation where self-trust and advocating for yourself and treating yourself like your own best friend is, and bringing it back to money, is what is going to allow you to advocate for yourself. When you were talking about the salary negotiation coach, you need to say, this is my value. This is who I am. These are all the great things about me. And as women, we need to feel comfortable shouting that from the mountaintops and claiming that. And I think that is also an integral part of building wealth where we can say, I am amazing at this. This is what this is valued. And this is what I want. And if you're not going to see me at that, then I will go somewhere else to find it. I honestly could talk to you for a million more hours, but we only have a set amount of time and I want to respect your day. So to wrap up, I asked this question to everybody. So I'll ask it to you. For you, what is achieving mental health? The first word that comes to mind is inner calm. Mental health to me is if I can wake up, enjoy my morning, 
and live my day and lay my head on the pillow and think I didn't let something pull me into a frenzy because I have prioritized the important things in my life, which are strong relationships, good finances. I mean, really finances allows so much stress to get off your plate, quality food, and a nice environment to live in. And all of those things take time and take work. But if you can get them into place, I think that's really a core for having an inner sense of calm. And that to me is the best mental health. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing and making the community a better place. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Allegra. If you'd like to learn more about her or Fectora, you can find more information in the description box of this podcast episode. All right, until next time.